morning, church. How we doing? Good. Before we begin this morning, I want to remind everyone here that um, I don't take being a preacher like I don't think that you assume that. Um, but I said another way, it does not matter how many people are here so long as I'm preaching from this. The gravity of what I do is, is here. Therefore, in some sense, it doesn't matter how many people are here. These are the words of God. And therefore, when I deliver God's word to you, I do so with reverence, I do so with care, and I do so with, I try to with, do so with precision. I don't get up here and just tell you a bunch of stories. I do sometimes, but it's only because I'm preaching God's Word, and I want to flesh out God's Word. God's Word is the point, is what I'm trying to say. God wrote a book, and we read that book every week, and I hope you're reading it every week, other than when Avi reads it to you. I also wanted to remind you all that this book has some very difficult things to say. We're going to read one of those things today. This is part of the beauty of expository preaching. What I mean by that is we go through the entire book. And one of the reasons we go through each book of the Bible is because we're not going to miss something. We're not going to skip anything. God has crafted this and authored this book for the good of our souls, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. And because of that, because there are difficult things to say, there are things our flesh doesn't want to hear and there's things our mind doesn't want to understand. And that's why this is called divine revelation. And it is an act of faith simply to come to the text and go, well, there's some things I don't understand here, but since God wrote it for me, it's my job to try to understand what it means. That's what we're going to do this morning. And so without any further ado, if you turn to John chapter 12, verses 36 through 43... And once you've found it, John chapter 12, verses 36 through 43, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Holy Spirit says, When Jesus had said these things, He departed and hid Himself from them. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Let's pray. Father, your Son Jesus is wisdom from God. He is our, our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. And Father, open our eyes this morning. Because as we see, 
from Isaiah and John, we see your word bearing witness to one inevitable truth, and that is we don't learn anything and we don't believe anything and we don't do anything apart from your decree. Father, help your word to take root in our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds, soften our hearts, so that by this passage this morning, we can do the very thing we were created to do, and that is bow in your presence and worship you for who you are. And all these things we ask in your Son's name, amen. So this morning, I want to summarize the passage we just wrote in a sentence. Here's how I would summarize what we just read. The unbelief of the Jews fulfills Scripture because it is actually part of the sovereign plan of God. The unbelief of the Jews fulfills Scripture because it's actually part of the sovereign plan of God. In our passage this morning, Jesus is fulfilling two passages from the Old Testament Scripture, both in Isaiah. The first passage is from Isaiah 53. Lord, who has believed what He heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In its original context, Isaiah is speaking here about the servant of the Lord who is rejected by the people of God. And what John is doing is he's applying it to Jesus because like the servant of the Lord, Jesus too is rejected by the Jews. So just as Isaiah's message was rejected, Jesus is rejected. The second passage is from Isaiah 6, and it's explaining why he's rejected. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So what Isaiah is saying here, don't miss this, the reason the Jews don't believe is because God is making sure they don't believe. God has blinded their eyes and He has hardened their hearts. What John wants us to know this morning is unbelief is a powerful thing. And the reason it's a powerful thing is because God is ultimately the one who hardens hearts and keeps them from believing. This morning I want to teach you a fancy theological word that you're never going to remember, but I'm, we're just going to, I'm going to give it to you. We're going to come back to it, and you're going to make fun of me later, and Robbie Schrader's going to come up to me afterwards and go, I don't know why you're using words. I don't like it. <laughs> Compatibilism. Yeah, I know, it's bad. Compatibilism. Haynes Creek is a compatibilist church. We wouldn't put that on the sign. We believe that God's absolute, sovereign, unconditional control of all things is compatible with some form of free will. I'm going to say that one more time. We believe at this church that God's absolute, sovereign, inscrutable, unconditional control of all things that He has created is compatible with some form of human free will. And we believe this because the Bible clearly assumes and teaches both. God is God, and man is man. If we take either one away, God is no longer God, and man is something less than man. But what we can't do when we read Scripture is treat human free will as if it's more holy than God Himself. 
What we can't do is allow our commitment to human free will to affect how we read this passage such that God is someone who waits upon our actions instead of being the God who determines all things. What we can't do in this passage is go, okay, I know that God is God, I know He's sovereign, but I know that I have free will, so I've got to pick one. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to decide to say, okay, I harden my heart, then God hardens my heart. That's not what it says. It says God is the one who blinds and God is the one who hardens. Remember when I told you all the Bible was hard to read sometimes? It says God is the one who is sovereign and controls all things. Read verse 39. Therefore they could not believe. The unbelief of the Jews fulfills Scripture because God is the one who dictates who believes and who doesn't believe. Compatibilism. God blinds and hardens according to nothing else but His inscrutable, sovereign will, and yet humans make their own free choices and are held accountable for them. If you don't think those two fit together, you're going to have a hard time reading the Bible. (laughs) People who defend their own free will at the expense of God's sovereignty are molding God into their image, and they're not letting God be God. We recently had a young man come and speak at Manly Monday. Good guy, too. And good speaker. Blew us away with his testimony. He's got a, he's got a testimony that will make you thank God. And he's a former drug addict who now serves as a counselor at Penfield Addiction Center. I was actually worrying because the guy that was supposed to come canceled on me three hours before and then sent some guy that I didn't know and I was just kind of, God, you're sovereign. And he began his message by reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. And the first thing he wanted us to know, (laughs) I just, the hairs raised on the back of my neck. First thing he wanted us to know is that the word predestined doesn't really mean predestined because man has to have his free will and you can't have one with the other. And I just went, okay. Well, God used him because he preached the gospel. And so I got up, I was kind of thinking about what I was going to say because I'm the pastor, but he just preached Christ. so. So I came up here and I went, man, Thank you so much. And it wasn't fake. I wasn't being disingenuous. That guy preached the heck out of Jesus Christ. And just as, and if anybody was there, I just said, as an aside, I said, and about that predestined free will thing, why can't we have both? Why are you making us pick? And he goes, Amen. <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know if we're on the same page, but why can't God predestine sinners, like the Bible says, and man make his own free choices, like the Bible clearly assumes? Why on earth would you make sinners choose between free will and God's sovereignty? The Bible doesn't do that. In fact, the most important theme in the entire Bible, the first assumption the Bible always makes is not that man has free will, but that God is God and God always does what God wants. If you believe in any other God than that, you don't believe in the God of the Bible. If anyone, ironically, should understand that salvation and freedom are not from your own power, it's an addict. 
If anyone should understand that salvation and freedom are not ultimately dependent on your own will, it's a slave. If anyone should understand that salvation and freedom are not ultimately dependent on your choice, it's a guy who was dead and got brought back to life. This is how the Bible describes salvation. We were slaves to sin. We were dead in our sin. We hated God. We wanted no part of Him. And by His sovereign grace, God said, let there be light. God didn't wait on you to save you. He saved you because He wanted to. Well, I mean, what, what's behind there? Well, you don't get to look behind the curtain. <laughs> if God waits on people to want to be saved, if He waited on Abi Todd until I wanted to be saved, what? I don't think Abi Todd's going to be standing here and preaching this morning because Romans 3 said this about Abi Todd. Abi is not righteous, not one. Abi doesn't understand. Abi doesn't seek for God. He has turned aside. He's become worthless. He doesn't do good, and not even one does good. That's what Romans 3 says. If you're in Christ today, it's because you made the decision to receive Jesus. If you're in Christ today, it was because a gospel plea was offered to you, and it was up to you to receive Jesus. But make no mistake, before you chose to receive Jesus, God chose you to believe in Jesus. We believe that. Because that's clearly what the Bible says. In fact, John Newton, who penned Amazing Grace, he believed that too. We're compatibilists. It's a horrible word. But deep down, most people are compatibilists, and I'll prove it to you. Because the guy who came in here from Penfield, I, the irony was he wanted to start out, I don't want to, he's not here to defend himself, so I want to be okay here. But I think he believed this too, because after he got done telling us, negating God's sovereign grace, he then proceeded for 30 minutes to tell us a testimony about God's sovereign grace. And then he said during his testimony that he prayed for his brother to come to faith. You see how that does line up? Let me, let me phrase it for you. He prayed to God to help his brother's unbelief. He prayed to God to soften his brother's heart. He prayed to God to open his brother's eyes. Deep down in his heart of hearts, despite the bad theology, this guy understood and believed that God is sovereign, and he wanted to pray to God to change his brother's heart. We may read John chapter 12 this morning and go, wow, that's really harsh. God blinds eyes and hardens hearts. But if that's not true, why in the world are we praying to God to help people's unbelief? I think it's important in light of the week we've just had in our country. The incredible evil that we've witnessed. I think that uh, Lydia made reference to this morning. we got people trying to bomb other people. We've got people rushing into synagogues, killing people. We've got people that are going into Kroger trying to kill black people. I think it's important to make this distinction. God is not the author of sin. Yet in His providence, God is sovereign over human sin. Does that make sense? As our text says, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Let me restate that another way. God does not compel an otherwise good people to sin against their will. You sinned probably this week, and you did it because you wanted to do it. <laughs> 
But God is completely sovereign over a fallen people who are evil in their hearts, and He is working all things according to His good purpose and His glory, and that is our hope. Our hope is not in the free will of man. It is in the sovereign grace of God. So friends, here's my question this morning. If we believe those two things, if we believe that God is sovereign over salvation, and if we believe that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life, why aren't we praying for people's eyes to be opened? Why are we praying for God to soften hearts? I know you know an unbeliever. If you don't, get out. Not get out of the church. Get out more. Don't bother me. In Mark 9.24, the father of the child of the unclean spirit cries out to Jesus, help my what? Unbelief. That's probably one of the best prayers. That's one of my favorite prayers in the Bible. Do you realize the irony of that prayer? It took some belief to pray the prayer. In his faith, he asked Jesus to help his faith. Now let me ask you, was that him making that of his own choice? Was that him saying that of his own will? Or was that God determining he would say that? Yes! <laughs> Philippians 2, 12-13 Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's who who lives in me. Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it is, this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Time after time, Scripture makes one invariable truth very clear. If you have faith in Jesus, you chose to have faith in Jesus. But it was God who gave you the faith to have in Jesus. God gave you a gospel to believe in, and He gave you the faith to believe in. I've heard people sometimes go, you know, I really don't see why all this sovereignty stuff even really important for my life. Well, that's kind of like asking, I don't know why God being God is important to me. Well, first of all, if you're living your life believing that God doesn't work all things according to His will, you're not worshiping the true and living God. Look at verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in Him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I mean, we just love us some glory, don't we? I, I confessed to y'all a couple weeks ago, I, I, like some, I like a little credit. Abby Todd in his flesh likes a little fame and reputation. I don't have the job that would be conducive for that. And I like to get a little credit every once in a while. Abby likes to get his glory. That's why the sovereignty of God is so important. The only thing that can humble me is by looking at the face of a sovereign God on the cross in Jesus Christ and going, wow, he did all that. This morning, some of y'all might be looking at me still going, oh, wait a minute, you're telling me God chose me first? Are you you're telling me that God hardens hearts and softens hearts? And you're telling me that it's all by God's grace? You're telling me that it's God, just God, because He's going to be God? Yes, that's what I'm saying. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that message of sovereign grace is determined to bring you to repentance and faith. That's why I hate this whole, come down that aisle, pray that prayer, say this real quick, get baptized, you're a Christian now. No. That 
makes God so small and it makes salvation about what you did and not about God did. Salvation is coming to faith and going, wait a minute, by His sheer grace He saved me? He called me out of darkness? He raised me from the dead? He spoke life into me? He unshackled me from my sin? And He did all that in His Son Jesus? And He gave me the faith to believe it? And He did all of that? Oh my goodness, God is good. I am unworthy. He's King. That's faith. You know, faith is a funny thing. It's as small as a mustard seed. It is as delicate as a thread. But if your faith is in Jesus, it is unshakable as a rock because God has made sure it cannot be moved. If you'll permit me to be so bold this morning, and some of you are going, hmm, bolder, I'm good. I want to give you two ways that I think we failed in our evangelism as a church. We've told people that if you believe in Jesus, the first thing we said is, oh good, you can't ever lose your salvation now. And never telling them that they must persevere in their faith. And what we've done is we've created lazy, entitled Christians who don't understand that you have to run the race set before you. If you want to find a cultural Christian who's going around telling people they're an evangelical never been to church, that is the wrong view of God's sovereignty. The other thing I think we fail is when we tell people that at any given moment you can stop believing and you can lose your faith. I don't ever see the, the Scripture saying that either. That completely ignores what the Bible also makes very clear, which is that the good work God began in you, He will bring to completion at the day of Christ. Philippians 1.6 Well, I don't understand. You can't lose your faith, but yet you're not supposed to tell people that you can't lose your faith. Well, do what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 11. Let's just go to the King of Kings. How does He do it? Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. I don't know if it's going to be there or not. All right, well, I'll just read it. My all-star Chris is on here this morning. Here's what Jesus said. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. <coughs> now watch what He says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you just see what just happened? He says, Jesus says, nobody comes to believe in God unless God chooses them to believe. Nobody comes to faith unless God chooses them. He hides His gospel. He reveals His gospel. And yet in the very same breath, in the very next sentence, Jesus says, come, I will give you rest. That's very compatibilistic. Salvation is by God's unconditional choice, and yet there is a heartfelt invitation that anybody who wants to come, I will be your salvation. What do we tell people when they get saved? Well, we tell them this. Hey, you're born again. God just gave you a whole new heart and soul. God just saved you. Now you've got you to commit to obeying Him and seeking after Him, and He will make sure that He always has you. And you'll never fall away. 
at Haynes Creek, if we believe in God's sovereignty but we don't evangelize, we've greatly misunderstood the will of God. But if we evangelize and we reject God's sovereignty, we've greatly misunderstand the grace of God. John chapter 12, verse 40. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. This doesn't kill evangelism. This makes sure that we know evangelism will succeed because it rests on the sovereignty of God. God's at the helm. God's in control. I want to challenge you this morning. Haynes Creek, people of Oxford and Covington, do you want to live in another world other than that? Well, I'll tell you, Charles Spurgeon, as usual, says it much better than I ever could. I really want y'all to listen to this one. Please tell me you had this one. I don't. Oh, no? <laughs> Spurge! Okay, I want y'all to listen to me. I mean, just, this was so good, because it's like every time, y'all might not ever have this problem, but there's things I'm just trying to say, and then I come up on like Spurgeon or Edwards, and I'm like, that's how I want to say it. Here's what, here's what Spurgeon says. Because Spurgeon had this problem. He's like, I just see these two things. I see human free will and I see God absolutely electing, predestining, controlling. What, what is it? How do we make sure? This is what Spurgeon says. The system of truth revealed in the Scriptures is not simply one straight line, but two. And no man will ever get a right view of the Gospel until he knows how to look at two lines at once. For instance, I read one book of the Bible. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let them that hear it say, Come, let him that a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Yet I'm also taught another part of the same inspired word, that it is not him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God who showeth mercy. I see in one place God in, prov in providence presiding over all, and yet I see another, I cannot help but seeing that God acts, or that man acts as he pleases. And that God has left his actions in a great measure to his own free will. Now if I were to declare that man was so free to act that there was no control of God over his actions, I should be driven near to atheism. And if on the other hand I should declare that God so overrules all things that man is not free enough to be responsible, I should be driven to fatalism. That God predestines and that yet man is responsible are two facts that few can see clearly. They are believed to be inconsistent or contradictory. If then I find in one part of the Bible that everything is foreordained, that is true. And if I find in another scripture that man is responsible for all his actions, that is true. And it is only my folly that leads me to imagine that these two truths can ever be contradictory to one another. I do believe they can be welded into one upon an earthly anvil, but they certainly shall be in eternity. And I love this. They are two lines that are so neatly parallel that the human mind which pursues them farthest will never discover that they converge. But they do converge. And they will meet somewhere in eternity close to the throne of God from whence all truth doth spring. What Spurgeon just said is, it's not your job to figure out how God's sovereignty and your free will come together. <laughs> One of these days you're going to know, though. But we dare not take away from God's glory. I have good, good news this morning. Do you all remember about a month ago when I told you that I was sharing the gospel with that young man at Cousins Middle School? We were talking, he's got, I mean, he was interested, you know, he was talking about death and talking about judgment, talking about hell. And this, this Monday, I just decided, you know, I'm just going to go after 
We're just going to share out the gospel. He ain't got nothing better to talk about anyway. And he looked at me and he asked me what the Philippian jailer asked, asked, asked in Acts. And he said, what must I do to be saved? He said, Avi, how can I be saved? And I went, whoa! The first thing I did is I looked around with the guidance counselors. And all of a sudden, they, two of them were kind of coming out. And I was like, oh my gosh. We got Jesus in public schools. And I went, oh wow. And then I took them through the gospel again. And I talked about Adam's fall. And I talked about guilt. And I talked about our slavery to sin. And I talked about God's grace in sending Jesus to take our punishment. And I talked about repentance. And I talked about faith. And I said, Tramel, do you believe that? He goes, I do. I said, you're going to make me cry. And I gave him a hug. And I explained to him about the rebirth. And I'm going to tell you all this. I know two things this morning. That was Tramel's choice to believe in Jesus. But that would never have happened apart from the sovereign hand of God. And because I believe that, I am still praying for that young man this morning and I would invite you to pray as well because it was by God's sovereign hand that he believed last Monday and it will be by his hand that Tramel believes tomorrow. His free will, Tramel's free will is not my comfort today. It's the sovereignty of God. I want to conclude this sermon with two seemingly contradictory truths. If it is not God's will that you come to Jesus, you won't believe in Jesus. But if you would but turn to Jesus in faith, He will never turn away from you. He will never cast you out. John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Friends, this morning, the door is open. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all. And Jesus says, come. And He says, all you got to do is ask. Well, let divine sovereignty figure that out for another day. You're called to believe. But you won't get there without the sovereignty of God. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, I pray this morning that if there's anyone who does not believe in You and has not put their faith in You. They haven't surrendered to Your Lordship. They haven't seen the evil of their sin and turned away and cast their soul upon You. Father, I pray this morning that You would freely choose to let them freely choose. However You do it. However it's accomplished. Lord, however Your sovereignty works, I pray for Your glory and by Your grace, soften their heart, open their eyes, and let them come. Father, I pray in Your sovereignty that You would let revival happen here in Oxford and Covington. Father, let Your Spirit come and rush through and people run to Jesus because it's only going to happen by Your will. Father, I pray that this church continues in faith and for those who have not believed, I pray that they would come. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name.